All right, good morning. morning. Are you here? If you're here, raise your hand. If you're not here, all right. Hey, my name is Chuck, and I'm just very, very privileged to be here. I've actually been in uh, this same town, Germantown neighborhood, never been here before this year, but I've been uh, here four different times this year uh, for different reasons, and at Jeremy's house, and let me just tell you what I... Uh, what I kind of see and feel when I'm here. Uh, it's almost like to me, not almost like, here's what I feel, that there's from heaven, this is like this river of refreshment, this river of gospel refreshment beginning just to pour down in these two neighborhoods where people can just have hope again and they can have refreshment again. The times of refreshment from the Lord may come where people can be being restored and healed and, and made whole again and, and find hope in Jesus. I, I just sense that here and I rejoice in that. And so uh, part of our church family is here, about 12 of us here, just to do life with you guys for four or five days, just to serve. And, and really it's, it's not a sacrifice. It's almost like we're just getting to, to jump into this river of refreshment and just play and splash around a little bit. Just to hope that we might get to enjoy some of what we sense God's doing here. So... We're thrilled to be here and honored to be here, uh, just here and honored to preach. I'm also, secondly, just privileged because uh, I love your pastors. Um, these, these are good men, Pastor Jeremy, Pastor Jacob, and, uh, and you need to follow these men. You know, it says of pastors that they're men who take responsibility for your soul. They've got to give an account to God for your soul. That's huge. That's weighty. And they're doing it in love. So trust these men and follow these men. They're laboring. Uh, these men are, uh, they love you. And they talk about you. And they're glad to live in this neighborhood. And they're glad to be your shepherds. And uh, trust them. The scripture would say to you to obey and submit to your leaders. For they will give an account for your soul. So when you're confused, just follow them they're wrong that's on them <laughs> there's a shepherd they're called hey this morning today I want to talk to you about Jesus from Luke chapter 5 we're going to turn there we're going to look at Luke chapter 5 we're going to look at verses 27 to 32 as you're turning there I want to ask you a question and you've got to have a little audience participation did anyone go to the emergency room yesterday anyone why not what, why didn't you go? Sick. You're not sick. That's right. That'd be stupid to go if you're well. Just check in. There's 100 people. Why are you here? Well, I don't know. It's, you know. Feeling good. Thought I'd show up at the emergency room. <laughs> How many of you have ever been or taken someone in your family to the emergency room? Yeah. Was it pretty obvious that there was an urgent reason? You just you got your band on there. Like, what, 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 when were you there? Two weeks ago. Oh, weeks ago. <laughs> are you escaped? Or, yeah, there's just been some, there's times that when you know that you're sick, and I remember my son who's sitting here, when he was a small child, his face turned blue, he couldn't breathe. It's like, I'm not real smart. Let's go to the emergency room. It's kind of obvious. I was out of town on my bachelor party actually in California, and for a day and a half I had this chest pain, and finally it's like, I better go to the emergency room. You know, it's, it's pretty obvious. Or as a kid, I fell off a, a building onto a ladder and broke my arm, and the bone was sticking out of my skin. And I said, 
you know, it's pretty obvious. I need to go get help. Let's go to the emergency room. Right? The principle is if you're sick and you're desperate, you go to a physician. You go get help. Let me ask you another question. Why are you here today? Why, why do you show up at a, a building and sing some songs? I mean, just think about it yourself. You don't have to answer out loud. Is there some sickness in your soul or something that you want Jesus to do in you? Is there something specific that you want changed about you? Do you see that Jesus is that great physician, as we'll see in this passage, that you need to run to today? Is there an urgency and an emergency? Let me just read this passage and then we'll, we'll pray and we'll dive into it. As you think about that question, what do you want Jesus to do for you today? Luke chapter 5. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house, and there was a huge company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with them, with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's the word of the Lord. It says those who are well have no need of a physician. That's why none of us went to the emergency room yesterday, because we didn't need a physician. But hopefully you've come here today with some sense that you haven't arrived, that you have some need, some sickness in our heart or soul. And you're going to bring it to Jesus. I've got one very simple point that we're going to just examine today out of this passage. And it's that you, it's only worth following Jesus if you're sick, right? It's only worth following Dr. Jesus if you're sick. Let's pray. Father, you've brought us all here for a reason. Father, you want to call us all to fully follow after your son, Jesus. You want our life to work. You want us to trust you. You want us to see our need and stop trying to fix it by ourselves. but you want us to see our real problem and bring it to Jesus, to Dr. Jesus, this physician of our soul and our heart and our will and our mind. So Father, give us ears to hear what you and your Son and your Spirit are calling us to do, to turn to the living God that we may be refreshed that times of refreshment and healing and cleansing may come.
from you. God, I pray that today some who are not in your family will become in your family and that those that are in your family would be more like Jesus when they leave. Please. Father, heal me. I'm not much like Jesus. You have devastated me with this passage. Start with me. I, I want to love more like you. Amen. As we look at Luke chapter 5, just a word about the context of the gospel of Luke. Luke was writing to a friend named Theophilus. Theophilus, it says, as you read the you know, first three verses back in Luke 1, that he was wanting to give him some certainty. I think that this, this Gentile man was, had been following Christ and he was becoming to a time of doubt about whether it was worth it to follow this Jesus. Just picture, this is probably in 61, 62 A.D., around 30 years after Jesus left. If you picture that the gospel had gone forward and, and what Theophilus had experienced in this, in this first church for 30 years was God doing a beautiful thing. How he was making his family, broadening his family, that it was becoming just just a unified group of people, very diverse group. How he's breaking down dividing lines. It was a multiracial, multicultural, multi-gendered, multi-socioeconomic group who would normally have never done life together, but they had this commonality in Jesus alone. And it says that they were turning the world upside down and there's this beautiful thing that people were giving hope and forgiveness and power and purpose to their life. And so he, he was attracted to that. He would have to be, but at the same time, these Judaizers, these, these Jews who didn't, weren't following Jesus were just, just hounding Paul and hounding the gospel message and saying they were watering it down, that they were too liberal, they were opening up with a false gospel, making it too wide. And so now, 30 years in... Luke's writing to this one man to say, I want to give you certainty. Be faithful. Continue. Don't give up. Following Jesus is worth it. That's the message. He wasn't trying to convert him. I believe he was a convert as you read this, but he's saying, be faithful. Oh, it's worth it. So in essence, in all of Luke, Luke is, is answering just two questions for Theophilus. And it's so relevant for our day in my heart because the two questions are first, who fits in? And to personalize it, do I fit in? That's what Theophilus would have been wondering. Do I fit into the, what God's doing on planet earth? Do I fit into his church? Do I fit into the family of God? And that's such a powerful question because humans by nature are so insecure. We walk into a room where we've never been before and it's like, well, do I fit in? And the second question is, even if we believe that we're invited to fit in, do we really want to fit in? To what God's doing on planet earth. Do we want to fit in on this church? Do we, are we willing to suffer? Are we willing to be hounded and be grumbled at as these Pharisees grumbled? And so those two questions dominate Luke. Do I fit in? And, but do I really want to fit in? That's exactly where Theophilus was. And maybe there's a lot of us here today. When you begin to understand that if you follow Jesus a while, say, man, is there a way I can make this a little more comfortable? Can I just take a piece of this rather than being all in Radically committed to obey every command of Jesus. Do I really, really want to fit in and go after Jesus? That's the questions. So let's dig in. In this, it says, 
Luke 5, 27. After this. Oh, I love that. We've got to stop right there. After what? Let your eyes go back, if you've got your Bible, to the previous verse. Something crazy was going on. It says, and amazement seized them all. Amazement. What had happened was, they carried in a paralyzed man. Jesus, seeing this paralyzed man by the faith of his friend, said, your sins are forgiven. Kind of shocked him. And, you know, the religious crowd said, only God can forgive sins. And it's like all that kind of stuff going on. And Jesus knew what they were thinking. He says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk? Well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because that's invisible. So to prove he had authority on earth to forgive sins, all sins, he says, get up and walk. And he got up and walked. And verse 25 said, immediately this man rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home and glorifying God in amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we've seen extraordinary things today. Let's start right there. Are you, as you sit here this morning, seized with amazement that God offers to forgive you of everything? If you see who you are apart from God's grace and have turned to Jesus, if you see clearly amazement, seizing control of your heart has to happen. To the extent we're not amazed, we're sick. And we'll look at that. So after this, that's one thing that's going on, but... but there's got to be more to that story. So just in a 60-second run-through, let me tell you that, that God had been fitting in and forming this family before even Jesus' public ministry in the Gospel of Luke and answering this question, do I really fit in? It was just crazy what the Holy Spirit, through either dreams or, or God speaking to people in prophecies, just, let me just tell you who God's already fit into this family. This teenage godly girl named Mary fit into the family. Let's kind of expect it. Next was this Zechariah, this high priest, this Jew. He fit in and, and God blessed him there in Luke 2. And so that's kind of expected. There's an, a woman that says it's advanced in years named Anna. She was very old. She was a prophetess. And, and God met her and told her about this coming Jesus. And, and she got, she's in the family. Then this, the shepherds that we read about, those were outcasts. They couldn't vote. They were, they were low. They were on the out crowd. They weren't part of the in crowd. And yet they're now experiencing the grace of God and this new family he's putting together on planet Earth. And, and then this weird cat, John the Baptist, eating, you know, locusts and wild honey in the wilderness. And, I mean, what, what a strange family. And then Jesus comes and says, you know, keeps saying, follow me. And he's building this family. Who fits into what God's doing on planet Earth to, to join the family of God? you got these small business owners, these fishermen and Peter and the crew. And then look at chapter 5, verse 12 and 13. Look who, what he's doing. This is just incredible. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Lepers were unclean, which means they were outsiders. They weren't fit for God. They had to be outside the camp and outside the city, and, and you couldn't touch them or they would infect you. And so they're a picture of they can't be part of what God's doing on earth because they're unclean. And yet Jesus does everything backwards. 
You can't touch a man and stay clean. But verse 13, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. And what the law said, that as soon as Jesus touched him, he should have been made unclean and unfit for God. But the exact opposite happened because when he touched him, Jesus touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. You see, Jesus didn't get cursed. Jesus wasn't receiving from the leper like any other human would. This guy is special. He's got the power to immediately cleanse. He didn't receive a curse. He banished a curse. That's incredible when Jesus begins to work. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I mean, what a Savior. He came to this guy. If you just work through the emotion, I'm not preaching this passage or I get caught up. I can't stop there. But think about how this guy must have felt to be invited into this family, this new cleansed leper. And then you got the healing of the paralytic and his forgiving sins. Forgive you of things that maybe you've never told anyone. And that's what we just read to you. And so God's got this new family. Who fits in? These people are forgiven. This, this weird group of people that have come together and amazement was seizing them. That's what after this means. Okay, we've got the first two words knocked out. 27, back to 27, after this. That's a lot. After a lot happened. Okay? What could he possibly do next? Isn't that enough? I can't wait to show you what he does next. He went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting in a tax booth. Okay, stop. Now, if you're following Jesus, you're one of the disciples following him at this point, you're going to go, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Not him. Not the tax collector. I mean, we've got a strange, we've got people, we've got, this is an odd family you're putting together. But not this guy. Why not this guy? Tax collectors represented their enemies. This tax collector represented the one guy they didn't want part of their family. Picture the one person you don't want part of in your comm group. Who's the one type of person? Maybe they're from the other political party or another particular social persuasion. I mean, what's the one person that you absolutely would never, ever, ever, ever invite to your birthday party? That's Levi. That's this tax collector. These guys, you probably know this. They set up this tax booth and they were collecting money. They were traitors. They were Jews. They sold out to the Romans. And so they're the ones that... First of all, we're stealing your money. Imagine how you'd feel about a person who was given, you'd have to be occupied by a foreign government. Say the Taliban ruled Nashville. And they had a Taliban army. And then they got a few people from Nashville to take about 30, 40% of your money away from you. How would you feel about that person? Traitor. And then when it got worse, because what they would do with the money would be to hire more soldiers. And not only did they extort that 30 or 40% of your money, then they would come knocking on your door and the soldiers would extort it says more of your money and so they were funding the very army with your taxes to steal more money from you these are not popular guys and then on a spiritual level what these guys represented were they were preventing the blessing of God because they weren't following God they weren't pure and so therefore God couldn't bring his kingdom according to the Pharisees because the city wasn't pure enough yet. So these guys were trouble. They were traitors. They were, they were outcasts. The only people you see them ever hanging out with were people just like them, other tax collectors, and other people more despicable. They didn't like the disciples were their enemies. The Pharisees were their enemies. The Romans looked down on them. They were outsiders. They were just out there. They may have been rich, 
But that money was not healing what ailed them. I don't know in our society who that is, and you're, you know, we've all would have different people this would represent, and for some it'd be some drug dealer who's selling drugs to your kids, or others it's someone from this other political party, or some corrupt politician, or a scumbag lawyer, or a, you know, I don't know, a TV preacher, or some, somebody that you trusted at one point, you can't trust anymore, I don't know who it is, but this guy would be like, oh no, don't include him into this family. Who belongs? Surely not this guy. If anyone doesn't belong in the family of God, it's Levi. It's this tax collector. But look what Jesus does. And he said, follow me. Oh, no. Jesus did it. Jesus said exactly the same thing to Levi did to Peter. Oh, he's got to join our little band. Oh, the feeling that would have set off of, man, what's God doing? Well, they had one hope. Levi was probably not going to say yes to Jesus. I mean, he's filthy rich. He says, follow me and leave it all. And Uh-oh, he did. Look at 28. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Wow, this follow me is just it's the call of Jesus. It's the call to you. It's the call to me that you're not a good leader of your life. This goes back to Adam and Eve. This is, goes back to the fundamental sin. That's what they did. They thought God was holding out on them. And so they said, I can manage right and wrong for myself. I'm a better leader. I can be happier if I'm in control of my life. And so I'm going to manage life and make myself happy. And Jesus says, no, you can't. You're leading yourself to death. You'll end up in hell and punishment. Follow me. Turn your life over to me. I will help make your life work. Trust me. Follow me. Turn to me. Learn from me. That's what he's saying, and Levi did it. It's incredible. That's who belongs. It's just a wide variety of people. You see what Luke is answering for Theophilus? Who fits in? Man, Jesus is carrying around God's guest list for the kingdom party. You know, what God's going to do is create a big banquet feast. And everybody from every tribe, tongue, and nation is going to be there. And it's going to be a party. There's going to be laughing and singing and dancing and drinking. And Jesus is carrying around invitations. Jesus has his guest list over here. And he's handing them out to just a strange group of people. Who fits in? It's a pretty broad group. We're going to keep growing through this passage to see exactly who fits in to God's family. Well, look at Levi's reaction in verse 29. It says, Levi made him a great feast. In his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. He invited Jesus, his disciples came, and other sinners. That's all he knew. This is, by the way, a model response. In this passage, Levi becomes a model disciple. It's incredible. He left everything. He followed him. And he immediately, with extravagant praise, just couldn't wait for others to meet this Jesus. My heart's convicted by that alone, just the extravagant response to Jesus. I mean, he, he went from hopeless to hope-filled, this guy in a day. And he, he expressed it. It's incredible. And they threw this, just, this party. It says a minute, you know, they're, they're eating and drinking. By the way, a little... Advertisement for church. Jesus has the church. I love talking about Jesus. I love talking about his bride. This is a picture of the church, by the way. Calling lost, broken people into God's family 
and celebrating so we can expose even more people to the good news that is in Jesus, that they can be invited to. And it's a great celebration. This is church. Pure and simple. It's awesome. We should learn from Jesus' example about church. Because if you look at it from Jesus' point of view, he was just bold and courageous. He didn't do what I do, and maybe some of you do say, well, that guy would never respond to Jesus, so I'm not going to call him into the family. Oh, this person would or wouldn't make a good Christian, so I'm not going to really talk to them, but that person, maybe they'd make a good Christian. No, Jesus boldly would call anyone to follow him, to join this family, and look what he did. And so we need to, we can't have these kind of parties if we're not calling people to follow Jesus to experience his good news. But as you probably know, not everyone thinks church should look like a party filled with sinners. Enter the Pharisees, verse 30, and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled, grumbled, not at Jesus, notice, at his disciples. <laughs> now, I don't think the Pharisees were at the party. I think this is just a really compact story because uh, the Pharisees wouldn't go into this house because they would become unclean. So this has to be later. They were certainly following, spying on Jesus, spying on his disciples. They were trying to trap him. We know that already. They weren't liking that he claimed to forgive sins. But when they finally, after the party's over, maybe later that night, the next day, sometime, they grumbled, hey, disciples, what are you doing? In essence, you've got to understand these phrases are just packed. What does it mean to eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? This isn't just having a simple meal. To eat and drink in that culture was table fellowship. To eat and drink meant that you, that you were now going to be friends, that you saw yourself as equal, that you weren't just going to see people as a project, but, but you were going to do life with them. You were going to be family and friends together, that you accepted them just for who they were. And so by going in, once again, just like the leper used to be unclean and you'd have to stay separated from lepers, the Pharisees and taught of that day, you've got to be separated from tax collectors, separated from sinful people. Jesus touched the leper. Jesus partied with tax collectors. Because Jesus is modeling ministry, this incarnational ministry that you get, you love people not by separating for them. You bring the kingdom of bear by associating with them. Not becoming like them, but bringing truth and hope in the midst of them. And so he accepted these guys because they had repented and he was longing for more people to come into the kingdom. These Pharisees were, in essence though, it just killed them. These Pharisees were separatists by name. These were, in their own right, incredible in a lot of ways. These guys were the Bible studs. These guys had memorized the first five books of the Bible. These guys tithed way over 20% regularly. These guys started this slave movement. I mean, they were getting after it. They, they would have had, in our day, conferences and blogs and all this because they're saying, be pure, be holy. Let's get rid of this Roman occupation by being so close to God. They wanted to fulfill every commandment of God so much that they just, you know, as you know, they, they created all these other rules that they could follow and be pure and to force God's hand to come and take them away from Roman occupation. But these guys shame us in our spiritual discipline sometime. That's who these guys were. And so in essence, they're saying, why do you set back Jesus and his disciples our efforts to cleanse society so the blessing of God can come? 
They had deep convictions. They were doing the right thing for God. Why, Jesus and disciples, do you become unclean by entering their house? Why do you risk being called a glutton and a drunkard? And then to the disciples, why are you following this Jesus who's a blasphemer rather than us? Well, here's the answer to the question. This is the passage. This is the question Theophilus wanted to answer too. Why do you associate with sinners, with people? Why are you expanding God's family to these types of people? This is the ultimate answer to the question in Luke. Who fits in to God's family and God's kingdom? Once again, it was the question Theophilus answered. It was the question the Pharisees are asking in this text. And that's the question that churches are answering in our culture today. It's this question still splits churches. I had a couple a year ago come and visit our church and they said, our church, we led some people to Christ and then we brought them to our Sunday morning gathering and they weren't welcome there. Were these stinky, out-of-the-way people, will they fit into your church family? <laughs> it's the same thing that happened. It's how the Salvation Army got started. Booth went out and preached the gospel to the, to the poor and the needy and, and they came in and the church said, we don't want those kind of people. We don't want to associate with that kind of people. They don't fit into the family of God in essence is what they were saying and so he started the Salvation Army so that anyone like Jesus could fit into the family of God if they responded like Jesus said to. So this is a very relevant question in your own heart. Who fits into the, your comm group? Who fits into your discipleship group? Who fits into your home who fits into your life here's Jesus's answer verse 31 here's who fits in those who are well and have no need of a physician I mean those who are well have no need of, of a physician but those who are sick I've not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance make sure we get a couple things from this who fits in the family of God Everyone who will admit they're sick. If you think you don't need a physician, if you don't think you need Jesus, you're not going to fit in. Why would you come to Jesus? Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, implication, need Dr. Jesus. And so the family of God's DNA, what we have in common is we've admitted we're sick people. That we're needy people and that we're sinners who need to repent. And so, who fits in the family of God? Sick, needy, sinful, sin-sick to death people that Jesus is going to call to follow him. And Jesus is calling me and you today. Verse 32. I've not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Who fits in? Those admit they're sick and repent. What is repentance? Repentance just means to change your mind. It means to turn. Turn from following yourself and turn to follow Jesus. I like to remember it this way. Submit and rely. To repent is to submit, first of all, that Jesus is God. And I'm going to submit my life to his lordship. I'm going to just say, yes, Jesus, I want you to lead my life. But also, it has to do with reliance. It has to rely upon the life and the death and the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You've got to rely on that for your righteousness. That's obviously going to come later in Luke. But let's talk about that for a second. To, to rely upon the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. 
means to admit that you're not righteous, that you're sick, that you're so sick you can't stand before God and say, God, let me in relationship with you, let me in your family, let me in your heaven, let me in your party, let me in your kingdom, because I deserve to be, because I follow these rules, or I've, I've attended church. No, to repent means to turn from your own righteousness and see that Jesus lived a perfect life in your place. Rely on His life, not yours. Rely upon His payment. You don't want to pay for your sins that you've committed. You don't, but Jesus comes to earth and says, I will pay for you. Rely upon God punishing me because that's what God did at the cross. He poured out the cup of wrath for my sins and your sins on Jesus. Jesus willingly said, come on, I will be punished. And so are you relying upon Jesus' punishment? And then God raised him from the dead. To prove it says, I accepted the payment. That's why Jesus can come and offer forgiveness to anyone. His authority on earth to forgive sins back in verse 24. Because he was going to pay it. And so to rely upon Jesus' righteousness. Jesus' performance and not your own. And to submit to him as Savior and Lord is repentance. So who fits into the family of God? All who admit they're sick and all that turn to Jesus. Let's think about this second question for a second. Who fits in and then is it worth it to fit in? And I'm going to get at this by applying this passage to our life. I think the point of the sermon is it's only worth following Jesus if you're sick. The Pharisees did not think it was worth following Jesus. He turned their life upside down. He made them spitting mad. We're still in the south here, right? You get that. Here's what I want to do is we try to intersect this story with your life. And maybe you'll see why God brought you here today. As I asked at the beginning, why did you come? Maybe God wants to reveal something he wants to heal or cure in your life as Dr. Jesus. I just want to tell you and lay out for you five types of sickness that I see in the passage and that I see in the South. And you see if one of these five, you have this sickness. I do. And I need Jesus more today than I've ever needed Jesus. The first one is religion sickness. That's this Pharisee's kind of sickness. That's the sickness that, and it is a sickness. I mean, think about this. It's a sickness that says my performance is good enough. My performance is good enough for God. I can create enough rules for my life and I can follow it well enough that it, when I die, I can stand before Jesus and say, didn't I do good, Jesus? That's what these Pharisees were doing. They were relying. They weren't repenting. They relied upon their goodness, their performance, their rule following, their attendance. And not on Jesus' death in their place. This is sobering. Because the South is filled with people who were sick to death with man-made religion. And Jesus' clear call in this passage is, these people aren't going to fit in. They're not going to make it. 
These Pharisees didn't make it into the family. They never saw that they were sick. They never saw they had religion sickness. Jesus' church excludes Pharisees. This would include in our day, there's going to be seminary grads that don't get in the family of God. There's going to be small group leaders. There's going to be weekly church attenders who are relying upon their own performance. They're so sick they don't think they need Jesus. This is going to be virgins who rely on their virginity to think that that earns them before God. There's going to be million dollar generous givers that don't get in because they're relying upon giving money. They're trying to perform. There's going to be people that attend church service today all over Tennessee and Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, Arkansas. They're just this south. That's just what you do. They don't know why they're coming to church except they think it earns them brownie points. In the end, they don't make it because they never saw they were sick. They just thought they were good enough on them up their own. That's scary. You know, over Matthew 7, Jesus, then the Sermon on the Mount, says, Many will come to me in that day. It's, Lord, I did all this for you. I cast out demons. I did this. I did that. And he's going to say, Depart from me. I never knew you. God. Our churches are filled with people that are so sick. And their answer is they don't, I mean, they just don't see it. So we gotta, we got to pray and pray and pray. There's a second sickness, and that's a rebellion sickness. Not a religion sickness, but a rebellion sickness. This is represented by Levi. He thought, I mean, think about how sick this is. It's saying, Jesus, I can run my life better than you. It's Adam and Eve's rebellion sickness. I can manage right and wrong for myself. I can make myself happier. I did this for 29 years. I grew up in the Catholic Church. I heard all kind of FCA and crusade stuff. I was in, I mean, I heard truth. And I knew it was right. But I didn't give up control of my life. I was arrogant. I was sick. I had this rebellion sickness. I had this sickness that thought that, that I could make my life happier by doing what I wanted to do, living where I wanted to live, having the job I wanted, having the friends I wanted, spending the money the way I wanted to. And that's a sickness. It's called rebellion sickness. It's that younger brother run away from the father's sickness. And Jesus in this passage is saying to the Levites, the rebellion sick people, Stop! You are running and ruining your own life. He's saying, Stop! You are leading yourself to punishment and death and destruction and hell, and you don't know it, but you're also just ruining your experience of life on this planet. He's saying in verse 28, Stop! Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. I'll live and die in your place. I'll forgive you. I'll welcome you. You fit in my family. I love you unconditionally. I did it all. I performed. You don't have to do anything. It's grace. Come, come, come. I will lead you to a better way of life. I think in the South that a lot of people, is what we're discovering in our church family, that, that most people think in the South that, that following Jesus is the right way to live. But very few people think Jesus is absolutely the very best way to live. 
If you don't think that if you took this Bible and tried to do every command in Jesus, love your enemy, the easy commands, the hard commands, and every command in between, if you don't think that would lead you in faith in Jesus to the very best possible life, then you're sick. Because you think you're smarter than Jesus or you're better than Jesus. It's crazy sickness to think that we can manage our own life for ourselves. And today it says Jesus is calling rebellion, sickness, people, sinners to repent. A third sickness is related to the second one. I call it exception sickness. And, and this is what happens so often that people will say, I, I admit I'm a sinner. I admit I'm a rebel. But you don't know how bad my sin is. I'm the exception. You really don't want me, Jesus. There are people who are just filled with shame. And you don't know what I've done. I've done things I've never told a soul about. And these people carve out these exceptions. Uh, I met a young girl about three years ago in our church. She was, she was, I didn't know it then, but she just got married. But she was having an affair. She was in this study. We're doing it for it was not yet believing Christians and brand new Christians and she says, I can't follow Jesus. You don't know what I've done. What she had done was she was in the middle of having an affair and divorcing her husband when no one knew it yet. But we kept explaining, no, you're not the exception. That's really pride. You're not the exception. You haven't sinned so bad. She'd say, but I'm so ashamed. It's a girl, Christy. She was about 23. She's a beautiful gal. And never got over that. We kept trying to call her and say, that's a sickness to think that you're an exception to God's love. That you've done something so bad. And so, the tragedy is, a couple years after that, having never, she left the church, she divorced her husband, we're trying to call her back in. And then I got this phone call one day and she'd been killed in a car wreck. And I, I, I don't know whether she still was in that sickness, thinking she was an exception to God's love. And so today, if that's you, if you think that you're beyond God's love because of your past, here's the interpretation of this passage for you. Jesus is saying to you, I want you. I want you and you and you, young and old, I want you. I don't care how ashamed you are because Jesus, I may not know your pastor, your best friend, your mama may not know what you've done, but Jesus knows and he died for you anyway. There is no exception. That's a sickness to think you're beyond God's love. He says, I don't care how angry you've been. I don't care how many times you've cussed me. I paid for that. He goes, I want you in my family I want you in this dysfunctional, crazy group we're going to call the church, the family of God, who what we have in common is that we're free to say we're sick, sin sick, our heart isn't right, we're, we're mean, we're shameful, our past is, we're not proud of it. That's what the church is. That's what the family of God is on earth. He's saying, I want to amaze you. I want to seize you with amazement when you experience that cleansing and release, when you admit that you're sick 
and receive my love, I want to amaze you with the cleansing and forgiveness. I want you to experience my grace. He says, I want you to follow me. You fit in if you're bad and filled with shame. He's saying, you've made my guest list. <laughs> I've got a place prepared for you. I want you at the table. You're not an outsider. Come admit your sickness. Come to me, he says. Follow me. A fourth of five kind of sicknesses is deception sickness. Uh, our churches are filled, and I've hinted at this. Deception sickness is maybe the sickness of all because they think they've been cured already. This is the person in the South that says, oh yeah, I want this forgiveness. I want to fit in, but I'm not going to follow Jesus. I'm not going to change my life. I'm going to get this fire insurance, and I'm not going to follow Jesus. And that's sickness because it leaves out repentance. It's, there's no turning to embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord. And I want to end with this fifth sickness. It's a weird name, but it's what God's doing in my heart. Let's call it hesitation sickness. I think this is where Theophilus was. Theophilus had been called to follow Jesus. There's undoubtedly a lot of suffering and ridicule. He was wondering, did I do the right thing? In following Jesus and going radical all in with Jesus? And at that moment, I think that Luke's writing to Theophilus in a moment of hesitation. Do I really want to follow Jesus all the way? It's that second question. Do I fit in and do I really want to fit in? You all fit in if you admit you're sick and turn to Jesus knowing he lived and died in your place. But the question is, do you want to be part of that family? Do you want to follow Jesus? Because Jesus is going to say, turn it all over to me. Follow me completely, just like in verse 28. Leave everything like Levi did and rise and follow him, knowing that Jesus is going to lead you to the best of all possible lives. And, and when you hear the call to pick up your cross and deny yourself and follow him, sometimes we hesitate. I do. Do you? That's a sickness because Jesus is good. He would never lead you anywhere that wasn't where you needed to be. And he'll never leave you or forsake you. And, and then here's what's going on in this passage. Here's where I got devastated in my heart when this passage, because what he's teaching his disciples in these moments, is that he's going to build a family. And we're going to do life with people we don't like before Jesus. We're going to do life with people that we wouldn't pick as friends, that we haven't in the past invited to our parties, that we don't want in our homes, Right? There's people you don't want. And to the extent you don't want them, that's, that's a hesitation because Jesus says it's, I'll be your security and I'm your true home. Use your house for this kind of ministry. Jesus is saying, come follow me. These disciples are now having to include people they didn't like. And when we get out there, there's, there's people of the, like I said, there's, there's people you don't want to hang out with. And there's people that view politics differently or life differently or the list could go on and on. We started a small group in our neighborhood and about a year ago, and just seven of us, and we began to have parties in our neighborhood. And um, we had a block party. We had a great time. We wanted to share the needs we saw in our neighborhood. And this lady wheeled up to me in a wheelchair and said, "Are you serious about all this stuff?" 
Are you serious about wanting to help knees? I said, yeah. She goes, well, I've got a lot of needs. I said, okay. So we went and did some work at her house, her backyard. And three weeks later, we had this murder mystery dinner. We'd invited our neighbors to, and she and this homeless lady, it turns out, had, had moved into her basement. And said, okay. And um, we said we wanted to follow Jesus. So we started this missional community, we called it. And lo and behold, about 10 houses up from mine, we found a mission field and went home. We found four generations. People had moved in from New York. This, the matriarch I call this mess, Lois, she's something else. She's been raped and abused her whole life, never married, never had a birthday party. Her daughter was there with her husband who was disabled. Their, unwed, their uh, single mom, daughter was living there with a kid or two and then they let this other lady move in the basement and, and it, was, it was a mess, but it wasn't just that. It's like as we've begun to do life, they, the end of the story is that, is that the lady in the basement and Lois have both professed Christ and I baptized them in the spring. It's incredible. It was easy in the sense that for me, I, we just had a few parties and they just began to show up on Sundays and show up to our group. We got to tell them about how great Jesus was and, and they believe and God did it in their heart. And, and yet though now it's like, man, we're including our family, but we, I can't even breathe and I go in their house. It stinks so bad. They let dogs pee and poop all that thing. They don't clean up. It's unhealthy. They're, they're on the risk of getting authorities called in for them. They've now moved out one daughter, moved in another daughter, just got married, and her three kids, and, and now they're coming around. And the, but the question of all this, my point of all this is, I didn't set out to follow Jesus to do life with those kind of people. That wasn't what I thought I was signing up for. And so our group of seven that started as we're dealing with this and some other people, we're hesitating right now. We know Jesus loves them. We, we know it would be easy to treat them as projects, but we're trying to see how do we include these people as family. And what God did in this passage to me was show me two very clear things about how sick I am. First, He just wanted me to see I'm not much like Jesus. Anybody there with me? And the second thing he showed me was, I'm not like Jesus because at the root of all my hesitation of really following Jesus and doing life with this kind of people, just like the Pharisees didn't want to do life with the tax collectors. Deep down, what he taught me was that I think I'm a lot better than those kind of people. And that's my problem. That's my hesitation. We'll never follow Jesus to go including people in the family as long as we think we're better than anyone. And then the problem, as I was thought about this a month ago, is that I, didn't, I not only thought I was better than those people, then I thought, well, I'm certainly better than the Pharisees type people who would never do ministry with these people. I said, well, that's even more sin. Now I think I'm better than the tax collector types and I'm better than the Pharisees. And, and I confess before you today that I am sin sick. I don't love people like Jesus because I think I'm better than them. And I'm begging Jesus 
to change my heart. I'm sick. I'm, and I never would have found that had I not gone out on mission. So what do we do if we've seen a sickness? Let me just tell you what we don't do. If you've seen maybe today that you've got religion sickness or rebellion sickness or exception sickness or deception sickness or hesitation sickness or any other kind of sickness spiritually that the Savior and the Spirit has showed you is this, is that um, here's what not to do. Don't just say, well, I'm sick, I'm going to try harder. You can't cure your sickness. You've got to run to the emergency room. You're here today. God brought you here to run to the emergency room, to run to Dr. Jesus. So what we just simply need to do is, is just admit to Jesus we're not much like Him. We need to name then our sickness. We need to tell Him how sick we are. Be as specific as possible. And then we need to accept that every human being on the planet is invited into the family of God. And what we have in common is that we're sick. We need to humble ourselves and see we're not better than them. So first, just admit that, that they're human. If you're having a hard time seeing who you want to open your home to, I mean, just ask yourself, evaluate your own heart. Who all has been in your home in the last three months? Has it been people Jesus is trying to reach, or is that off limits? We need to see everyone as human, as divinely made image bearers of God that are broken and marred and will never follow Jesus until we see we're no better than them. You've got to accept we're not better than them. And then we need to cry out to Jesus to change our sick and wicked hearts. Do you see and hear Jesus' call today? Jesus says, I've come to call not the righteous, not those who are well, not those who think they're well. But Jesus has come to call sinners to repentance. Can you imagine if this church family humbled themselves and followed Jesus? If no one in this church family did life in this neighborhood thinking they were better than the people outside these walls. As we go to party in the park today, as we look out over that crowd, people who've ruined their own life, messed up on their life, the people that we don't want in our homes maybe, what if we could remember we're not better than them? And in fact, we're not better than them, not because they're good, they're sin sick, but we're sin sick. And if we found Jesus, that's our only difference. Let's pray. Father, it would be an act of grace if you would reveal our sickness. There are sick people physically around this town that are dying and not going to doctors because they don't know they're sick. And in this room, there's people that are dying and, and they're lost and because they don't know they're sick. So Holy Spirit, please, as an act of grace, show us how sick we are that... God, whether we think we're your children or not, or whether we think that we can run life better than Jesus, or if we 
think that we're better than people. There's all sorts of sicknesses in here. God, teach us as we do communion, as we sing, as we fellowship. Continue to minister to us and show us how to run to Dr. Jesus and admit the truth that we'll come and repent and trust and rely and ask for forgiveness for our sickness because it's our fault, it's sin. God, show us we're sick so we can be healed. Keep loving on us, speaking to us today. Amen.